Greetings and welcome one and all to the Chief Yeah podcast. This is the 90th episode of season two. And uh, of course, we are continuing and really we are for now, for now, we're finalizing our exploration of the uh, of the Jezebel spirit. And uh, I trust that all of you have um, definitely gotten a lot out of it. You know, in this session, I want to deal with more of the solutions, but um, not just the solutions. I also want to deal with uh, some of the ways that we can recognize that spirit and um, how we've recognized it or seen it manifest itself through maybe works that we've read and things like that, but also how we've seen it and recognize it in us. We all have the potential to manifest the Jezebel energy, all of us. We all have the spirit to manifest the Ahab energy. So it's something that we have to constantly be on watch for. You know, in our last session, we spoke about how sometimes that spirit uh, will manifest itself in the family. I will come forth, of course, and even in goddess worship or female worship. But, you know, how sometimes your children may manifest that energy and how that may look. And we're going to explore that bit more in this session and uh, I also want us to take a look at some of the ways that we look at this strong demonic spirit and how it relates itself to witchcraft how it relates itself to control and how it relates itself to removing the spiritual or the most highest influence out of our lives you know it tends to kind of edge it edge it out and you know, when you have great displays of pride and um, you find that your own personal personal agency and leadership around you is targeted and derailed so that it can be ineffectual, I can promise you that you have the strategy of a, of a Jezebel or a Jezebel in your mix, you know, um, because it also... It often calls to things that are mysterious, things that are profound and things that it it considers deep for you to be distracted with that. And really, it's a practice of idolatry and um, to be distracted with that in order to kind of become presumptuous as it relates to the movements of what the master wants, your master wants, what your creator wants. You know, it, it, it resets its own clock. So. The important thing is, is the understand in this is that um, when we're standing against that that level of witchcraft, when we're standing against that level of uh, even rebellion, if if you will, um, it's always important to know the commandments that we should be following and to keep them in order to protect us in the situations that we may find ourselves in. They become our protection. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to regard the different situations we're in um, in a way where we want to preserve ourselves. And when you want to preserve yourselves inside of your situations, that will automatically lead you to, to disregarding the commandments of your maker. You know, um, so we'll oftentimes look at the power of our situations and, and the pervasiveness of our situations rather than looking at the power and the pervasiveness of the instructions and the laws and the words that our maker has given to us, you see. So the obedience to that is so important. Our ability to listen 
becomes important when we're seeking to kind of break down and um, remove ourselves from the agenda of celebrating our own accomplishments and the agenda of um, going on a, on a mission, which is sometimes it's a generic obedience. You know, we're just we're on this life mission, but we're not really obedient to our actual Yah, our actual creator, you know, and our pride will kind of uh, force us to look at the big things we've done in life and not realize that you, you may have done big things, but you're not obeying the little things and the little things become those parasitic parasitic germs that creep into our lives that, you know, will will slowly break us down. Um, so we, we learn we're going to, you know, to create habits and create ways which eventually become acts of spiritual devotion and and acts of, of great sacred and divine submission and worship. And those become very, very hard to break over time when those become the habits of, of what you do. All right. So we're going to get into some of the things and um, some of the things to avoid, like self-pity and, and, you know, the insistence that the Jezebel always has on attention. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness you know um yeah so we're gonna there's, there's so much and like i said we'll we'll come to some of this again some more but let's get into our movie right so the last movie that i i gave you all i trust that you enjoyed it and that you received something from it and so the tie-ins of course there's always tie-ins if you really paying attention because oh you'll see that there's always tie-ins well this movie that we're going to look into is a movie by the name of under the skin and this is a movie that uh it was done by jonathan glazer but it's uh it's a film that i i liked a lot it um it had a it had a sort of oh, my phone. it had a sort of um the shining sort of swag or you know um Space Odyssey 2001, just in terms of the way it moved. Okay. I'm not going to explain too much because this is going to be a longer show than usual. So I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to save most of our time and energy for our main piece. But, um, the film has Scarlett Johansson in it and, um, it's, it's a very interesting sort of concept of, um, and how we, relate to womanhood you know and how we relate to um sort of the what sometimes can be seen as the intrusion of masculinity inside of a feminine space you know so um we'll we'll cover it we'll talk about it in the next segment but that's the film that we're going to be watching um and of course as always under the skin uh, I knew we'll be watching it together as a collective and as a community. Five thirty-five <laughs> Eastern PM Eastern is how we do it. Okay, so we'll be watching that. Oh, I'm sorry, I got all these notifications coming through. It's super loud. But um, yeah. So under the skin. All right. Now with that, let's get right into our main concept. Okay, here we are with more Jezebel. And um, 
in this this uh, session, I'm going to speak more to not only the spirit of how that Jezebel and Ahab represents itself, but um, I really want to now get into how we start to turn it around a bit more, how we start to remove it. You know, a large part of our understanding of it is um, our understanding how it manifests itself. And then how we can then send it out into the void, that particular spirit. But I wanted to touch on this idea of, of witchcraft because it's so germane to um, the controlling spirit of Jezebel. Oftentimes you find people who have this like extreme fascination for the occult. There's a narrative that also will exist there in their lives with uh, maybe having the inability to control finances, uh, maybe even to control their their eating, um, or just just feeling a bit out of control and out of touch with how their lives move and how they want them to move and things they want to do. So, um, I want to touch upon that. Now, when we look at Second Kings nine twenty two, we have King Huram or Joram, who says, "Did you come in peace, Yehu?" And then Yehu replies and he says, how can there be peace as long as idolatry and witchcraft of your mother, Jezebel, is all around us? Right. So now when we take a look at that, that concept, he's like this idolatry and this witchcraft. So we there can be no peace when we're when we're in that space. Right. When those things are going on. Um, so recognizing uh, how that may manifest that idol tree and witchcraft is really what I want to kind of pivot on for a moment. You know, the first thing, understanding that again, you're going to find a lot of the Jezebel spirit in those who call themselves cautious or woke or spiritually aware who are obsessed with doing any form of spirituality that they feel that they can control you know, um, I feed this, it does this for me. You know, when I want to an answer to something, I do this. Um, I go to this particular priest or priestess, they do this for me. So that's a mask, you know, for that Jezebel because it's operating through different channels and different dynamics because ultimately it is a spirit that seeks for control. It's a controlling spirit. And that controlling spirit will spring out of rebellion against authority and authority author. I've broke this down in another segment before authority or author. It comes from Patir, which is the father. Patir means father. Patir also means stone or rock. Like where we get Petra or the name Peter, but it also is where you Patir like paternal or paternity um, is where you get author or authority. Right. So your author is the one who has the or the authority, the one who has the ability to write what your life will be. That is the patir. That is the father or the father. Right. So she rebels against male authority. She rebels against the father's authority. And as a result, then she wants she wants to control. I want to be able to do this. You know, and that's um, that's where your witchcraft comes in. You know, a lot of times when we when we consider witchcraft, we're thinking, oh, somebody's somebody's working on me. Somebody's doing roots on me or, you know, um, 
someone has went somewhere and studied something or the country where I'm from, they do these type of things. There's always this, this mystique. And sadly, it's usually highly misguided, highly misguided. I can tell you as someone who works with people, I get people all the time coming to me telling me about family curses. And especially I get a lot of people who are not um, native to America and they'll say, well, you know, back in my country, this is what they do. And they don't know what they're talking about. You know, it's that that ignorant superstition um, that is a part of witchcraft, keeping you dumb, keeping you ignorant and keeping you in this dark room. So you don't even know what's happening. But sometimes we may practice witchcraft without even knowing it, you know, and I'm making a distinction between the Wajet and the witchcraft or the Wajet and the witch, though the name witch may come from Wajet, but it's a different, different thing we have working here. And I'm not sanctioning or promoting the Wajet either because that's highly misunderstood and highly misused. So I'm just going to put it out there. You know, any form of witchcraft is problematic. So, um, when you have that, that sense there or that witchcraft, this is how you know it's happening or this is what it is. It's when there's a manipulation of other people or you have someone who's seeking to dominate or to control other people's lives. Um, and often they'll use also intimidation. So when you see someone who's trying to dominate, someone who's trying to intimidate, or someone who's seeking to manipulate, you're dealing with the witch. That is witchcraft. You see, so you might think back and say, man, there's times when I may have done something like that. You know, it's one of the works of the flesh, as Paul called it in Galatians five nineteen through 20. You know, so having that spirit, you know, manipulation. We, we sometimes see that at a very young age when you have children who throw tantrums. They'll fall out, fall backwards on the floor in a store. They'll start screaming and destroying things because they want certain things. And they learn at a very young age, the more I throw a tantrum, the more I act out, the sooner I'll get what I want. That's witchcraft. You you might have a, a father or mother in your family or a brother or uncle, you know, um, or mother, auntie, and they maintain the dynamic that they want to hold in the family by making everyone afraid of of them actually expressing anger. You know, you don't want me to go up. You don't want me to do, you know, always that fear of their anger. That's a form of witchcraft because it's intimidation, you know, constantly keeping someone in fear of your, your um, hostility. You see, um, You have domination, which is so highly um, active in the Jezebel spirit, where often you'll have a woman or a female, because real women don't behave this way, but it could be the wife who will use her sexuality to control the behavior of her husband. Um, You'll sometimes see a female who will use her sexuality to control the behavior of her children, even, right? you see it oftentimes in spiritual environments where spiritual leaders, quote unquote, um, will use manipulation to get more money. You know, the between the music, between the tone of their voice, 
between the guilting and shaming that they put on you, they do all of this to get more offering money. That's all Jezebel spirit. It's all Jezebel spirit. So it's not just sometimes it could be sexual, but it may not be sexual. Um, but it functions just as well through the masculine or, or males. It functions just as well through males as it functions through females. It It's a spirit. It has no gender. You know, it just if it's functioning through a male, it's going to work one way. If it's functioning through a female, it's going to work another way. It just works differently depending on the vessel that it's operating through. But it it, it has no respect of gender and anyone can get it. You know, if you look at it that way, um, sometimes you have someone, again, that manipulation who makes you these awesome promises and they never fulfill them. That's a form of Jezebel energy. And the way that that energy gets in is when you have someone who's unsubmitted to the creator, that's an opening. When you talk to someone and they're they're so stuck on their supposed intellectualism and what they have studied and and how much they think their perspective is different from the standard norm. And that's the first thing they want to lead with. Well, let me ask you this question. Did you ever think of this? Did you ever think of that? Let me tell you something about that. Let me break something down about, do you know where that really comes from? That's a person who's unsubmitted to their maker. You see, and a lot of times this is a person who is emotionally wounded or they have been mentally wounded where they, they feel less than you see. And, um, that's when the controlling and manipulative spirit and behavior of the Jezebel will come in. You see, that's the only way it, it, it gets in. When you look at different ways, even in, um, our writings, you'll see how Jezebel, the old Jezebel, uh, of Kings came into Ahab and introduced Baal. You know, this, this lower order Elohim to Yisrael killed its prophets, you know, um, conspired to murder. And here's the word that I want you to focus on. Stared up her husband, stared like you're staring a pot. She stared up people to do wicked. You see, that's the key. She stared up people to do wicked works. You see. I mean, her energy was so strong. You know, we speak about how um, she caused Elijah or Eliah to run away in fear, you know, and almost want to lay down his life. But, you know, there's something also significant I'm going to add for those of you who remember I brought that up in the very beginning, you know, the way um, uh, Elijah took off, you know, went 100 miles. Well, remember, according to the story that he went to Mount Horeb, you know, and Mount Horeb or Horeb is um, it's the same thing as Mount Sinai. OK, so it's just different parts of the same, you know, area, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. And that's that's a significant piece. And, and why? Because I'm speaking about now some of the solutions like, you know, how do we how do we get around that? So Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Um, first, when you understand the, the Babylonian text, um, Sinai is a name of an archetype for the moon. Okay, Sinai. And and Horeb 
also meaning, you know, the mountain of Elohim or the mountain of, of Yahuwah, right? But that was the mountain of the sun. So this, this area was like the place for the sun and moon, if you will, you know. So the first thing to understand, and, and there is before even um, Elijah in this story, we have connections. We have um, other things about the story. Moses, when he was um, with the flocks, he saw, he came upon, you know, the whole burning bush um, experience uh, in the mountain of Horeb. And when Elohim spoke to Moses, telling him that, yo, this is, this is holy ground that you're standing on. Take your shit, take your sandals off. That was Mount Horeb, same place. So, it was sort of like a, a notion of something is going to occur in this space. This is an important place. You know, um, when Moses took the children of Yisrael from Mitzrayim, or what some like to say is Egypt, but Mitzrayim, um, they encamped at Horeb. That was when he hit the rock and the water came out of the rock. That was in Horeb, you see. And even when they encamped before, they called it Mount Sinai, but the same place. Um, this is when Elohim told, you know, Musa or Moses, come up the mountain and get these commandments. You know, and they would hear the voice there of the Most High. You know, and they were told, you know, prepare there for three days. You know, because on the third day you would see the most high in sight in front of all the people. This is, this is the same area that Elijah um, ran to. So you think about where was he running? <laughs> now you understand that he wasn't just running like I'm um, just hightailing it out of town. He was literally running to his Elohim. I got a problem and I know exactly where you stay at. I broke this down in earlier stories. I'll get into it one day. But this Mount Sinai, this is when you get into the Tower of Babel and why they built the tower. But Mount Sinai was literally, it was called the, the, the Mountain of Elohim. This is where they lived. Literally where they lived. Okay, on this mountain. And of course, in, in other mythology years later, you get the, the idea of the gods living in the mountain on top of a mountain. So there was a time even with Musa when he set up the boundary um when they were told that the most high would would appear um and that's when the when the mountain was enveloped in a car, in a cloud they were told don't even touch the mountain it makes you wonder if it was actually a mountain I may break that down we're talking about Jezebel right now but I I'll I'll give you a little sneak peek. It wasn't a mountain as you and I would think of us as a mountain because at one point it moved. So, you know, on that third day, that's when the smoke came and they said there was a roar of thunder, like it was mingled with peals of a trumpet and they saw the most high. Right. And, and then you have later on where Musa, Aaron, Nadab and, um, Abihu, and the 70 elders or the sons of creation, the 70 elders of Yisrael, they go up the mountain together and they said that is there where they saw the, they saw the Yah of Israel. You see, and, and they said that Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb was then enveloped in a cloud for six days while on the top or the summit of it 
was fire. And Yah ascended to the mountain. Well, Musa, excuse me, ascended to the mountain to speak to Yah to receive the tablets of the law. And he stayed there 40 days and nights. Right. So, again, just giving you some background on that on that mountain. Um, and, and, you know, you can do some more research on it. Even when you read about in Song of, of Dora in Judges 5. Or you read about in Psalms, um, Psalms nine, and where it speaks about um, uh, that the earth trembled, trembled, and the heavens dropped. The clouds also dropped water, and the mountains melted. It says the mountains melted. You know, we're speaking about Mount Horeb, or or. Against Sinai and Horeb is Har Ha Elohim. That's the the long version. So you have Sinai, you have Horeb, but Har Ha Elohim. Har is mountain, and Ha is the Elohim is well, Elohim. You know, um, the powerful ones. So the mountain of the powerful ones, and that's where they receive. You know, as far as the Israelites, that's where they received divinity. They received knowledge. And um, later they received what, what was called Har Bakshan, Har Bakshan, and that that Bakshan it's it means to have teeth, you know, to to be able to have teeth, and that that what that what that represents or what it could represent is going through a place where now you can you have the virtue the virtue to understand deeper sustenance and deeper information, if you will, you see, but. Um, again, whether it was law giving or anything like that, we know that this mountain, this area that Elihu ran to was a sacred area. It was a sacred space that he was running to. Right. So let's look at Yezebel again. Now, you know, again, through the eyes of how do we get through it? How do we how do we beat it? How do we de defeat it? And. You know, again, you're looking at Yezebel in the, in the uh, first and second book of Kings, right? And um, we know, as I, I think I mentioned this on the very first part of this series, is that Yezebel, um, her name means without husband or unhusbanded. Now, here's the important thing that you got to understand when we say husband. A husband, even in our, our Hebrew, you know, that um, that term that we use for it is synonymous with a house. It's synonymous with a house. Okay. So you don't, you know, and I, I think this is, this is, um, this is significant for some of, especially, if, well, for you men and women who are listening, you know, I think it's, it's, um, it's significant because I have seen many times where, um, people sort of, um, they may practice some form of plurality, you know, or even some form of what they may call husbandry. And I have seen so many instances where they're saying they practice husbandry, but the person that they're with, they don't necessarily establish a household with. It's almost like a, a committed sexual and, and, camaraderie sort of union, but they, they're not really within the, within the house, you see. 
And to be a husband means that you have established a house for your family to, to be in. The word husband itself, it means master of the house. So there has to be a house, of course, for you to master. You know, um, in our Hebrew, often we would use um, Baal as well to refer to husband. You know, Baal meaning master, of course. So when you have, uh, sometimes you'll see the word ish or ishi. Ishi is my husband. Or, um, but, you know, or Bali. Baali is my master. So we have Baal or Baal, which is master. We have Ish, which is husband, Isha, you know, which is wife. But so if I say Ishi, it means my husband. So the E is what makes it my, right? Um, so Ishi, my husband. So you see that in Hosea 2.18 and 19, right? And if you read Hosea 2.18 19, it says, And in that day declares Elohim, you will call me Ishi, and no more will you call me Baali. For I will remove the names of the Balim from her mouth, and they shall never more be mentioned by name. Right? So, of course, because Baal refers to Baal, you know, um, uh, an idol. So, you won't call me that, you know, you'll call me husband, right? But again, husband representing the master of a house. So, if there's no house, there's no husband, right? So I think that's an important point because I, I have seen that throughout the years with a lot of guys. And it's like, and it's okay to have, you know, um, your concubines. Or, okay. She's not really a part of the house or, or, but your concubine can, or really should be part of your house, but have you established a house first? And that's, it should be physical. You know, I could, I could cut everybody's a break and say, it doesn't have to be physical. It could be a proverbial house, but truth is it should be a physical Space. I don't care if it's a shed somewhere <laughs> and you say, well, we, we don't sleep in here. We sleep in tents around the shed, but this is the family house, you know, but just, just as a side note. Um, so when you, so when you look at the name Jezebel, it means with unhusbanded, unhusbanded or without husband, which means without habitation, without domicile, without residence, without Dwelling. Because the truth is, a Yezebel spirit will never cohabitate with anyone that they cannot dominate and control. But here's the thing once you know that this spirit is as unhusbanded, meaning unhoused, that means it's always going to look for some place to park itself. If you come in contact with it, it's never a casual experience for it because it's looking to be where you're at, to be inside of you. Right. And that's where you start looking at the demonic attacks. You know, but first of all, understanding that it won't have a relationship with you um, if it can't control you. It's a spirit that always looks to have the upper hand. You know, sometimes you talk to certain people. And they always need to have the last word, no matter what's happening, even if they're agreeing. They always have to say something after to maybe even go beyond what you just said, you know, um, that's a, that's a Yezebel spirit, even if it adds nothing to anything, you know, and again, like I said, they'll never be in a relationship with you or anyone else that they're not able to control, you know, um, 
even though Jezebel was married to Ahab and Ahab, Ahab was considered one of Yisrael's worst kings. I shouldn't say worst, uh, most wicked kings. But even so, clearly it was Jezebel who was a dominant in that relationship and who was waging evil through him. You see, so every Jezebel will have an Ahab. And that the reason being is because a spirit of control will only be able to inhabit or cohabitate with that which will allow itself to be manipulated, intimidated or dominated. You see, it's going to that unhusbanded or that unhoused looks for a house that it can control, a house that it can manipulate, a house that it can intimidate, a house that it can dominate. So you'll find a Jezebel spirited wife who will always try to control her husband or control her husband. And often she'll control her entire family and dominate her entire family through, through her, her angry rants through her unmerited and unwarranted temper tantrums and through threats as well. Sometimes you find it with your teenager, a teenager who's always trying to manipulate the mood of the family, you know, by disrespecting their parents, you know, by just being rebellious against parental authority. That's a teen that you're going on a trip and because they don't feel like going, they sit in a car sulking and pouting, just kind of funking up the entire space they know what they're doing and they could they could flip and change it at any second but they're doing it on purpose they're pouting and they're whining and you know they have their face twisted up because they have a Jezebel demon inside of them and that's how they manipulate the mood of the family you see so a lot of times your children will open up the pathway your children can be a gate a gateway to demons in your household so a lot of times the children will open up the door to that spirit if you, if as a parent you have an Ahab spirit inside of you and you allow that child to obtain anything it wants through manipulation, whining and pleading and attitude and the child is giving you the silent treatment and things like that. Because remember, the Jezebel is always the controller. You see, the Jezebel is always the controller, whether it is taking someone and turning them to adult um, idolatry. Children do a lot of that sometimes with some of the toys or the merchandise that they want to bring into the house or even some, uh, you know, your daughters want to wear makeup. Your daughters want to wear fake hair. Your daughters want to wear fake nails. They want to dress themselves as, as a starte because you remember when Jezebel came in, she brings in Baal, but who is Baal? Baal's, uh, consort, but none other than Asherah. Who is Asherah? Asherah later became Astarte or Esther or again, Easter. You see, that's all of that vanity and everything like that. You know, um, and keep in mind, you know, her father's name was Ethbal. Ethbal, Ethbaal or Ethbaal means with Baal. I'm with Baal. So he was on the side of that nation, of that Baal nation. And the, and that nation was the sworn enemies of Yisrael. So as soon as she gets with Ahab, she immediately turns his heart away from the Yah of Yisrael to serve Baal and Ashtoreth. Okay. And the truth is, the marriage itself was a violation. 
<laughs> you know, sometimes you have to look at where things begin when you first invite certain things into your life. You read Deuteronomy 7 and 1. When Yahuwah, your Elohim, brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when Yahuwah, your Elohim, delivers you delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. Next verse says, you shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other Elohim. So the anger of Yahuwah will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. See, so when Ahab married Jezebel, he already broke the commandment. He already invited that, you know, in in obviously physical form of her coming into the house. But that level of rebellion. And that's where the stirring up happens when you read First Kings 21 and 25. But there was none like or rather more evil than Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of Yahuwah because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up and he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom Yahuwah had cast out before the children of Yisrael. See, one of the ways you always know you're dealing with a Jezebel, she's always staring up trouble. You find someone who's a troublemaker always staring people up to do things that are that are outside of what they should be in their nature. Um, she'll stare innocent people up until their emotions get to the point where they, they do something. And then she'll say, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? What's, what's the problem? Because they, they don't take blame for anything, of course. You see. And a usable inside of a family will keep the entire family constantly in turmoil. Second Kings 9.22. Remember the first thing I said when I started? When King Yoram demanded, he said, did you come in peace, Yahoo? And Yehu replied, how can it be peace as long as there's idolatry, witchcraft of your mother and Jezebel? All around us, there could be no peace. So you'll never have a peace, peaceful and healthy relationship as long as you have a Jezebel nearby. When you see that disrespect of a parent, the dishonoring of a, of a parent, you know, where you have young people will hold the whole family hostage, you know, with their emotions. They keep things stared up. That's Jezebel. When you see that person, a person who has no friends or very few friends, well, usually none, because <laughs> they're only going to be around people they can control, Yezebel. They're not able to submit to any sort of authority figures, especially men. Yezebel. I know there's a guy out right now. He's on radio shows sometimes, and he, he's been promoting a fake school for 13 years. I think almost 14 years now collecting donations, lying, 
you know, some people, you know who he is. He's he's a he's a perfect example of a malleable, perfect example of a malleable. That's why you never see. He doesn't have any friends. You don't see any men around him. You know, um, he pretends to be a religious or a spiritual person. It's the same stuff. Leads people astray, manipulates them for money. Yesable. There's a woman who's bald headed. She has a show. I think it's, it's, it's something about a red table. And her husband is a total Ahab. Total Ahab. She even slept with one of her friend's um, sons and keeps claiming that she had a relationship with a dead rapper. And the rapper said he never he never slept with her. But he puts it right in his in her husband's face because he's a total Ahab. She's a perfect example of a modern day Jezebel. You might know who I'm speaking about. See, the Jezebel will always blame everyone else around her for her dysfunction. You see, she hates authority to her core. And it's that male authority that bothers her. That's why she killed all of those prophets in first Kings 18 and four, because they represented the authority of the most high. She wanted to kill Elijah. You see. And even when Elijah died, she hated um, Elisha and wanted to kill Elisha. And the only man that was able to live with her and stay alive was who? The weak one, Ahab. So sometimes, you know, I, I talk to people and they say, you know, chief, you you so this and so. Uh, uh, but my parents have been together for so long. My grandparents were together for 40 years. Let me meet your grandfather. Because if I meet your grandmother and she's a Jezebel, because sometimes it's usually the, the children of Jezebel, the daughters of Jezebel that come and say that kind of stuff to me. Let me meet your grandmother. I bet you she, I bet you all the money in my bank account, she was a Jezebel. And I bet you all the money in the bank, my bank account, your grandfather was an Ahab, a weak willed man. So of course they stayed together forever. That, that doesn't say anything. That's, there's nothing impressive about that. That's a sad sight. You have that in the New Testament. You read Matthew 14 and 6 when you read about Her um, when it was King Herod's birthday and, and his, his daughter, um, Heredius. She danced in front of him and he was like, okay, on this day, I'll give you anything that you ask. And he said, uh, she said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That was Jezebel right there speaking to her. Go kill the authority of the Most High. And I'm using my sexuality. I'm dancing in front of my my father. And it was his it was her mother who told her to dance. <laughs> I saw a video recently with um another entertainer, her daughter. She's married to a rapper. They I think they have three children. And her daughter's got the name of a colored vine that grows on the side of buildings. And um, she calls her fans, I think, the hive, the beehive, something like that. Tells them to get information. She had 11-year-old daughter stand, dancing on stage with other dancers who were half naked. The daughter wasn't half naked. But you could see right in that video, if you have eyes to see, they already sold her. She's done. They already sold the little girl. She already has a name that sounds very occultish. But they sold her. That's it. 11 years old. That was a ritual. 
See, so Jezebel, she'll always use sexuality to manipulate the people who are in authority, just like um, Herod's daughter did. But here's the, here's the thing. You may have a mother like this. You may have a father like this. You may have a grandmother, aunties, grandfathers, uncles, wife, <laughs> husband. If you don't confront the Jezebel, you are no prophet. You are no man of Yah. You are no woman of Yah. If you don't confront it. That's part of it. That's part of your rite of passage. You have to confront it. Remember Revelations 2 and 18. And to the to the angle of the church and Thyatira, right? These things says the son of Yah, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith and your patience and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants, to commit immorality, sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual morality, and she did not. Half the time, that's your first lady in your church. Half the time, she's the biggest Jezebel in the entire building in the entire building it's the first lady with a big gigantic hat that's usually one that needs to be rebuked but tolerate you see you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce See, that spirit will make you think that you're more spiritual than you really are. It it when you find yourself always talking about yourself and self promoting, I think social media is is like a key to that. Why do you have so many pictures of yourself? Why? Why do you put a picture of yourself up and then tell us about yourself? How weird is that? And nine times out of ten, the picture has nothing to do with what you're saying. You put a picture of yourself and you say, you know, I'm the type of person who's learned in life that do do well by everyone I come across. There are people who call me who haven't heard from me in years and they just call me to thank me for things that I've done that I don't even remember. You know, they write captions like that. Yezebel, that's the Yezebel spirit in action right there. Self-promotion. Constant self-promotion. Because that spirit operates under an assumption of authority that they don't even have. They'll usurp authority, but will never submit to any authority. So the self-promotion is shameless. Revelations 2.20. Remember, you tolerate the woman who calls herself, calls herself a prophetess. You bring in false teachings. And you're seducing. That's why it says, calls herself for prophets to teach and seduce my ser- my servants. So what is what is seduction? Seduction is when you entice someone away and usually to perform some sort of illicit activity. That's what seduction is, to entice someone away. 
So if, if, if me as a man, if I decide I want to do something greasy or grimy and I want to seduce a woman, the first thing I have to do to seduce that woman, I have to separate her from her natural authority, whether that be her father, whether that be her big brother, whether it be her uncle, could be her mother, her aunties, whomever it is. It could be her husband, right? I have to first seduce her away from her natural authority. This is how Jezebel introduces sexual immorality by first seducing you away from your natural authority. You don't have to listen to your parents. You don't have to listen to your father. You don't have to listen to your husband. He doesn't know everything. You have a connection too. But I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she didn't repent. There's a patience there if you think about it. But Jezebel will always block a person from really repenting because there's two things that go hand in hand. They, they, they're locked. <laughs> Witchcraft and stubbornness. You ever met a spoiled child who's not stubborn? It's almost like spoiledness is the essence of being stubborn, right? You ever met someone who's an angry person who does, who's not a stubborn person? Once they're angry or they're intimidating you with their anger, they stay stuck there. Everything will be calm and they're still sitting there with their face twisted up. Because the two go together. First Samuel's 15.23, for rebellion is as, as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as inequity and idolatry. They go together. But where does this go? Right? Where do we go with this? Revelations 2.22. Indeed, I'll cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. You know, what's so deep about that, that's a harsh judgment. And that's not even a harsh judgment for the world. That's a harsh judgment for the nation of Israel. It's not even talking about the word. It's talking about Israel, the true church. Or the true, the true ecclesiastical. You know, so it's important when you start to look at some of these concepts, especially like the concept of, of tolerating. Tolerating is what? When you allow the existence or the presence or the practice of or an act of something that you wouldn't necessarily agree with without hindrance or pro, uh, prohibition. When you permit these acts or the presence or the existence of something or the practice of something that you would otherwise prohibit. That's tolerance. You see what we're experiencing for some of us in the social sphere right now is the spirit of Jezebel using witchcraft to take, take society over. You see, you think about how some people look at certain figures who, who rep, it, whether you, however you feel about what they say or whatever, 
if you represent something that is anti Jezebel, there's like a supernatural hatred that people will have for you. Consider a Donald Trump. Clearly not with the Jezebel energy. And we could name other things. I don't like this one. Okay, you can like whatever you don't like. I'm just talking about that one thing. People hate him so much. <laughs> it's like a supernatural spiritual hatred that they have for that man. I remember when Nate Parker did Birth of a Nation. People hated him. Oh, God, they hated him. He, he's got a he's got a white wife. Well, she's Colombian. Well, okay, sure. Caucasian wife. Cancel him. Really? But this is a very masculine. This is a this is a movie about masculinity that we need to see. It's an important movie. Cancel him. Hmm. Tina Turner had a white husband. Serena Williams has a white husband. Do they? No, don't can't. Okay. Because <laughs> those are those are two Jezebels right there, Tina Turner and Serena Williams, two two outspoken Jezebels, but they don't get to cancel. Okay, gotcha. You see, you got to look at it in its modern form, and the first thing to understand that the way you get out of it is through repentance. The way you defeat it, the way you you don't underestimate its power. Even when it's in your presence, that's why I said you tolerate her like you even being around. Her, you tolerate even being around her. And as a result, this is what I'm going to do to you. You see. This is what I'm going to do to you. So you have to first turn your, change your way of thinking. That's what repentance means. I got to change my direction, change the way I'm thinking. Go back and, and look, think again on this thing. I can't harbor an unclean spirit. If I'm dealing with that spirit, I can't touch the unclean thing. I have to have an intolerance when it comes to certain activities. It's June 1st. It's the start of Pride Month, by the way. You have to be able to search your heart and be able to refuse that authority that's seeking it's seeking to have over you. And here's here's the first place you start. You got to remove anger. You got to remove bitterness out of your own heart. That's a gateway to get in. That's how we get in. Wait, gateway, how they get in. I said we. Somebody's going to take that sound bite. Chief said he's a demon. <laughs> yeah, but that's how they get in. Through your anger and your bitterness. So you have to be able to empty yourself of those things first. That's your first tool. When we say, well, how do we get past it? Get rid of that first. And if you're you're find a spiritual leader who you can submit and will submit yourself fully to. Because remember, she's unhusbanded. She represents those who have no leader. She gets in where there's no authority and becomes your authority. So you might have the you, you know, when you when you underestimate it, sometimes you underestimate your Potential for operating in that spirit. So you have to be able to walk in submission to the most high and most importantly, because that's when it becomes too abstract to the person that the most high has appointed to be your leader on earth. And this is not a um, plug for me. 
It, it doesn't have to it be whomever who the most high says. This is who you're supposed to come under in a real way. So I'm going to say if it is me sitting on the outsides and, and not being a part of my community where you are actually looked over, that ain't it. That, so just for all of you who just raised your hand, because I know you, you guys send me the message all the time. Chief, I see you as just a seat, but you, you're not even in my community. You're just listening on podcasts and on YouTube. That ain't it. That ain't it. I know, I know where the people in my community, I know where they work. I know their emergency contacts. I know their addresses. Okay. I know their children. I know the names of their children. A lot of them, I know what time they're supposed to be home at night. I know how far their commute is to work. I know if they commute to work or not. <laughs> I know the activities that they, the, the after school activities they got to take their children to. It's a bit different. I know what they're struggling with. I know where they're, where they're doing great and they're making advances. I know where I need to cover them. I know where their legs are strong. I know where their legs are weak. So you find yourself a leader. You see, you find yourself a leader, not a female leader. Let me just put that out there for you right now. Not a female leader because most likely she's a Jezebel. And you're going to have to learn, you know, also humility. You're going to have to learn determination. And if you are dealing with someone who's a Yezebel and they're like, you know, your wife or your husband or whatever, you're going to have to use humility and determination in, in speaking to them because pride is what stops everything. Pride is like the emergency break on any level, on any sort of deep spiritual work. Any sort of deep spiritual work, pride is the emergency break that brings everything to a halt. So you have to always be led by love. If you approach someone with a lot of pride or with a, with a lot of religiosity, you you took the L, just paint an L on your chest. You lost before you even began. So anything you're doing in terms of like helping someone you see may have that spirit, it's got to be rooted in your communion with the most high and your submission to the most high. So when you're coming into the space, you're not just coming to reveal what's wrong with the person. You did this and you did that. And now what do you think of that? You're not just coming as a revealer, but you're coming as a healer and you got to do both. Right. And our human ego can that teaches us how to reveal everything. Let me break down what's wrong with you. Let me break down your, yeah, okay, you can do that. But it's when you submit yourself to the maker that you now can channel healing. So you got to come with both. You see, you don't want to be a detriment to another person because of the spirit you're coming with, but you want to come with gentleness. You want to come with humility. You want to come with meekness, you know, and you also got to know when, hey, Maybe I've done everything I can and I just have to try to do this in the invisible world because, <laughs> you know, I have to walk away from this and not be around this person. And that's where the communion comes in. 
you see, you have a person who's caught up in that or you're caught up in it. You got to commune with the creator because that's what binds that spirit back. Is that meditation with the creator. You see, you're breaking that chain of control that that spirit may have. You're, you're, you're affirming freedom. You're affirming healing. You're affirming peace. These are important things. You know, when you start to fight against that and and having a clear understanding of what it is, like we've been speaking about, is a large part of it. You got to be able to discern those spirits. You see, because remember, the Jezebel always seeks to cut people off from a from a prophetic voice. Always seeks to cut people off from a prophetic voice. I put a, a IG post up recently, well, IG and Facebook about Tina Turner, and I shared some some facts. No lies, no opinions, all facts about who and what she really was. She was a mess, but who she really was. And I said, I did a screenshot of my followers at that time. I don't have a lot of followers. I said, let me just see. I said, I know I'm going to lose a bunch of people, but I'm just curious how many. And uh, (laughs) within, uh, I think it was about four hours, I lost 13 followers and then uh, 15 came. I've gained 15, <laughs> you know, so uh, and then there was, of course, it was always a, there was a Jezebel in the in the, the, the thing, the uh, comments and said, why would you speak ill about someone who's dead? Like, shut up. You don't even know me. You don't know what I've been. Spe- well, why would you wait to speak ill about someone who's who's died? You don't even know who I am. I've been talking about Tina Turner since the 80s. <laughs> I'd been known about this woman and a bunch of others. She ain't the only one. I could run down a list. But we, but why wait till someone's dead to celebrate them and not even know what the heck you celebrating? Just because they're dead now, they're the, oh, the queen of rock and roll. And she was far from the queen of rock and roll. Are you out of your mind? You know, but we just we just have to make up things. You know, we just have to make up things. So. You know, that was a Jezebel statement because Jezebel is always trying to silence the prophets, always trying, trying to to silence the prophets. You see, so you look at those sort of things, you see, pay close attention to that, you know, pay close attention to. If you want to know who the (laughs) you want to know the king, the, the queen of rock and roll, pay attention to to who Elvis stole his music from. I'll give you that. I'll drop you that little hint with a wink. Send you on a research mission. <laughs> if you really want to know who the queen of rock and roll is, you see, and I ain't talking about little Richard. That's a different kind of queen, but you want to know the queen of rock and roll, but you know, so that's, a, that's one of the things that you want to pay attention to that um, silencing of the prophets that happens, you know, with that Jezebel spirit. And um, also, you know, like I said, seeking to cut off that, that voice, trying to lead you into hopelessness, trying to lead you into into despair, having always that religious agenda, um, you know, where you'll always have, even within a, a marital setting where um, they, they, or eh, we can say marrying, marital but 
they'll always make you feel like you're not spiritual enough. You know, um, or if someone, if a wife has done something that's really horrible, she'll flip it and make the husband think he did something horrible. And if, if, if he can't handle it, he should just, you know, go away. Like it's, it's his fault for even staying, you know, um, sometimes there's also that spirit of, like I said, you're not submitting enough. You need to submit more, submit more, submit more. Um, but there's also that, that spiritual conformity, like, um, you'll have that Jezebel who will always tell you that as far as like your spiritual gifts and stuff that they have the same thing. I could do that too. I have that. And if you don't agree with them, um, then you're not submitting. You're rebellious. You see, everything is not their problem. It's your problem. You know, so there's so many different, um, sort of signs that you'll see. Um, but even like I said, the witchcraft is a very particular one because it, it's always seeking to attack and to mislead people who are actually sincere. You see, so you won't have that spirit of the king that should be in a space. That's what should be there. Witchcraft will always seek to render that leadership ineffective and of no consequence in people's life. So you'll always see it. It's creating its own space, its own reality inside of yours. It's all about the flesh. It's always claiming prophetic visions that you got to watch out for. You know, um, there's always a lusting there. A lot of times, you know, again, that that's promoted and embraced so much. People who are just have these, these spirits and these demons of lust, you know, and they'll say, well, I'm a very sexual person. I'm hypersexual and I'm all about pleasure and things like that. And that's cool. Or you might have a demon of lust inside of you, which is why you are never sexually satisfied when you get up from the bed. You're just out here devouring men or women. And then you masturbating 10 minutes later. And you're thinking there's something good about that and not realizing that you are a slave to your flesh because you are generating no spiritual quality inside of you. So you constantly need that to be rubbing or pulling on yourself to experience some true dopamine, you see. Or to have some some presumptuous sort of um, divination or spiritual experience, you see. Where, where you're able to now really express your soul rebellion, you know, against what's supposed to be the timing of the most high. That's what you're really trying to do. I want to reset the clock myself or I want to set the clock forward. I want to set it backward. But you're constantly out of sync with what the most high is giving you. Read Daniel 725 for that. That's that spirit of control. James 3 and 17. But the wisdom um, from above is pure. It's first pure. Then it's peaceable. Then it's gentle. Then it's reasonable. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's unwavering without hypocrisy. You see, but that spirit of Yezebel doesn't want to, it doesn't want to see how to say that's how the cookie crumbles. It doesn't want to see how the cookie crumb crumbles. It wants to, it wants to determine how long the cookie lives, you know, when it gets into the oven and all of that. It determines, it's, that's that control piece. You see. And it's always going to concern itself with matters in which it has no authority. It's going to worry about things that, 
it shouldn't be worrying about or have opinions that have no consequences about things that it shouldn't be having opinions about. And not to say that you shouldn't be open to suggestions, you know, as a spiritual body, but it, it, it will use legitimate excuses and legitimate, you know, means and situations to get what it wants. So it uses that as its, as its platform because it ha- it tries to have all these things be legitimate and in particular spiritual. And you got to understand that spirit is operating in fear. So you got to look at the fear mechanisms in your own life. Faith, which is that knowing in the unseen, it furthers nation building. Fear is the exact opposite. You, you've never seen fearful people build a nation. Never. They won't. If you start talking about nation building around fearful people, their eyes will get real bugged and they'll start talking about all the possible things that could happen. See, when you are truly in step with the divine, you realize when you begin to relinquish control, you actually come into control. Read Luke seventeen thirty three. So these are just like some of the, the things, um, you know, when we start talking about cutting that, those puppet strings of Yezebel and, and this anti-Yah or anti-maker or anti-creator, sort of mentality. You see, we don't have to fight people. We don't like it. Like the book says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You see, so you, you sometimes you can, Sort of just be targeted wrong. And then sometimes, like I said, that spirit, it stirs up an emotion in you and you become unrepentant because of the door that's been opened. And once you become unrepentant, then anything unrepentant sin, it opens up the door in your life. When you do something and you're so full of pride that you, yeah, but I had to. But yeah, you don't know my situation. Right. Okay. Well, you just open up a door. That's what you just did. Now, any of you live in a house or anything else, open up the door and leave it open. What's going to happen? <laughs> One day you're going to wake up in your bedroom. There's going to be a cat sitting on your dresser, a stray, stinky cat. A dog will run through. You're going to go into your kitchen and see a raccoon in there, a squirrel. Because you left the door open. Hopefully that's all that will come in. <laughs> You see, so one of the key things you do when you're dealing with that spirit is you got to come out of hiding because that spirit tells you to go into hiding. You know, like we spoke about Elijah, he went into the mountain of Horeb. But your first thing is you expose the Jezebel. You see, Obadiah, he hid the prophets because they were scared, scared of Jezebel. But the spirit of Jezebel, it causes people to go into hiding. You know, sometimes you'll have a Jezebel in your family. You'll be like, you know what? I don't even want to say anything. I don't really want to even tell them who I am or how upset I am. Because you know the spirit of Jezebel refuses to believe that anyone else's suffering is real. <laughs> they don't care. So you always have to hide behind this illusion that everything's okay. I'm all right. 
I'm cool. I'm okay. You see, because as soon as you may express that you're having a problem, they'll turn your good intentions of expression into an accusation. But ignore all of that. A Jezebel needs to be exposed. And they're not going to take kindly to being exposed. It's not going to be a smooth experience. You see, because they're going to turn whatever their wrongdoing is back on the person who exposes them. You know, and they'll try to make you feel guilty. They'll try to make you feel dirty. They'll try to make you feel like you're the offender. You know, because when the enemy is truly exposed, they try to silence you and make you go back into hiding. That's your usable. So the only way you can you can achieve freedom in that environment is you have to come out of hiding. You have to come out of hiding. First Kings 18 to 7. Remember when Ahab saw Elijah? And Ahab said to him, is it you? Like you, you're the troublemaker of Yisrael? And remember, Elijah was like, I'm, I'm not the one making trouble, but you have and your father's house has has because you've abandoned the law, statutes and commandments and you decided to follow Baal. So now. Gather all Israel to Mount Carmel. And he was like in the 400 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. See, so now what, what is that right there? What would happen right there? I think that's an important thing that we experience in today's society. What happened right there was a battle of identity. It was a battle of identity. You see, I'm not, I ain't the troublemaker, you the troublemaker. You know what you've done. Don't try to put, put this identity on me. That's not me. See, but if you've been under the, the, the spirit or the, the influence of that spirit for a long time, you will forget who and what you are. You will, I promise you. You see, the talents that you have, people will tell you you ain't have. Jezebel's quick to tell you you can't do something. You'll, you'll be happy. You'll be feeling good. You'll start dancing. Jezebel will say, you can't dance. Sit down. You'll write a, a work or a poem or something that's deep to you. Jezebel will really be like, hmm, you trying to be a poet now, huh? Okay, you need to stick to your day job. Always saying something slick. You see? Oh, you want to start prophesying and, and teaching and helping people. Would you sit down? You see? Jezebel all day. But you have to remember who and what you are. Your true identity. I'm not a slave. I'm a child of the most high and an heir. Galatians 4, 7. I am a new creation. Second Corinthians 5, 17. I'm set apart. Hebrews 10, 10. You see. We could, we could even go old school 90s gospel. I'm more than a conqueror. Romans 8, 37. I know my identity. I'm not listening to you. <laughs> I know I know what I am. I know who I am because my creator, my maker has already uh, defined and sculpted out my identity. And you know what? Sometimes you have to write it down just in case you forget. You can write those scriptures down, write them down. This this is who I am. Jeremiah 1 5 told me that I'm anointed. I'm, I'm appointed and I'm set apart. Colossians 2 10 told me that I'm complete in my creator. First Peter's two and nine told me that I am the special possession of the most high. I could write that down, put it somewhere where I could see it. Just in case Jezebel's around, tries to make me forget. 
you see, that narcissist only wants to destroy you. Good Lucy. <laughs> like I said, the lady with the, the bald headed lady with the red table, her and her, her and her, her demon mother. They want to destroy that Ahab husband of hers. That's all they care. They don't care about nothing else. Destroy that Ahab husband. Because th their goal is to make you forget who you are. So their influence will begin to distract you from the things that you love, which help to define who you are. Those are the things that are uniquely you and the gifts and the talents that the creator has placed that make you completely you that show the glory of the Elohim. Man, I love hiking. I have this special relationship with plants. I have this rela special relationship with tree bark or with birds or I, I, I love to farm. You know, or whatever it is. I love music. I love dancing. I love sculpting. I love painting. The Jezebel will try to make you forget because they want to seduce you away from the things that make you who you are. They want to manipulate you and control you and affect you in a way, even down to the dress you wear. The way you style yourself. So the thing is, when you read First Kings 19.20, you're going to stick with who you are no matter what happens. That's why when Ahab sent the, the people of Yisrael and gathered all the prophets, Elijah came through and said, how long will you go around limping between two different opinions? Are you with Baal or are you with Yahuwah? And if you're with Baal, go over there. If you're with Yahuwah, go over there. But everybody was quiet. So you got to stick with a choice. A lot of times people will come into an organization or a spiritual space, a spiritual community. And they still they'll say, yeah, I'm over here, but I still go over to my old place once a month or I still do this over there with that. Why do they do that? Because when they were leaving, coming into something better, they were made to feel guilty. I get that with people in Anu all the time. They join Anu and they say, oh, but I'm a part of this spiritual house over here. Really? What do y'all teach? Oh, it's nothing like Anu. I mean, no, it's like the stuff you teach is like way better. So why are you still over there? Why are you still messing with that? You're stuck between two choices. That's Jezebel. You're, you're afraid of the opinion of another. See, Jezebel is a narcissist. So she's afraid of the opinions of other people. They're afraid of what the consequences would be when that other person finds out because that other per that the Jezebel is toxic. It's controlling. It's narcissistic. It, it make your life a nightmare. So of course you're afraid of the repercussions if you make a choice to leave it, but you have to be willing to stand by your choice. That's one of the ways you defeat that spirit. And yes, Jezebel will be critical of your choice and discredit your choice and tell you you're crazy, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're, what's all the ones? You're under mind control, you're brainwashed, you're, you know, you're disloyal, whatever. <laughs> whatever. You know, anyone who's ever left Anu for any reason, they can tell you I've never said anything to them. Now, if they've tried to say something on the way out, that was false. I've said, well, no, that's not true. That didn't happen. If you're going to leave, just go on and leave, but don't leave lying. You got to be here. 
Because if you're still serving something else, I don't want you here anyway because you can't serve two masters. You see, so you defeat that spirit by coming out of hiding, making a, a true choice about what your identity is. That's a key piece. You see. Jezebel's marriage to Ahab was a political alliance. It was about politics. You see. Was it really about forwarding the mission of Yisrael and of her husband? No, it wasn't about forwarding that identity. There's a reason Jezebel died the way she did. She had to die like that. You see, when 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 Yehu came to to um, Yezreel and Jezebel heard about it, what did she do? Because Ye, because Yehu had to come get rid of her. She painted her eyes, the scriptures say. She painted her eyes and, and adorned herself. You see. Because you remember it was Elisha who said, tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Yehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil, pour it over his head. Thus saith uh, Yahuwah, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee. Do not linger. Elijah was on it. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he came, behold, the commanders of the army were in council. And he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Yehu said, to which of us all? And he said, to you, O commander. So he arose and went into the house. And the young man poured the oil on his head, saying to him, thus saith the Yah, the, El, the Yahweh, the Yah of Yisrael, I anoint you king over all the people of over the Yahuwah, over Israel, and you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets and the blood of all the servants of Yahuwah. For the house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off Ahab, every male, bond or free in Yisrael, and I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabot, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahiah. And the dog shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Yisrael, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door, and he fled. <laughs> he just dropped it, boom, ran out. So now Yehu comes through, and he, he, he kills Urim and Isaiah, gets rid of him. He went on his chariot. You know, he saw the watchman standing in the tower in Yisrael, and he saw the company of Yehu, and he said, I see a company, and Yoram said, take a horseman and send to meet them, and let them say, is it peace? So a man on horseback went to meet him and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Yehu said, what do you have to do with Pete? Turn around and ride behind me. And the watchman reported saying the messenger reached him, but he is not coming back. And he sent a second horseman. You see what they were doing? You see, trying to stir him up. And that's when he said, is it peace? Yehu answered, what peace can it be? So as long as the whorings and sorceries of your mother, Jezebel, are so many. <laughs> you see. And they, they, they got him. You see, they got him. They killed, they killed Isaiah. 
Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Urim between the shoulders so that the arrow pierced his heart and sank in his chariots like a movie. <laughs> Yehu said to Bitkar, his aide, take him up and throw him on the plot of ground belonging to Naboth, the Israelite. For remember, when you and I rode side by side behind Ahab, his father, how Yahuwah made his pronouncement against him. And as surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares Yahuwah, I will repay you on this plot of ground. Now, therefore, take him up and throw him on the plot of ground in accordance with the word of Yahuwah. So when ah ah um, Ahaziah, who was the king of, of Yehuda, he saw it, he fled in the direction of Beth Habin or Beth Hagan. And Yehu pursued him and said, shoot him too. <laughs> and they shot him. <laughs> so he was just cleaning up house, right? You see? And at that point, um, in the 11th year, it says, Yoram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah began to reign over Judah or Yehuda. And when Yehu came to Yezreel, Jezebel heard of it. She painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. See, this is how stupid she ain't. She's not the smartest demon in, in, in the, in the, uh, in the bunch out of the bunch. She's really not that bright. And as Yehu entered the gate, she said, is it peace? You Zimri murder of your master. Look, she's taunting him. You murdered your master. <laughs> and he lifted up his face to the window and said, who was on my side? Who? So he's like, I don't even have to do this because I know the people within your house can't stand you. So two or three eunuchs looked out at him and he said, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses and they trampled on her. Then he went in and ate and drank. And he said, see now to this cursed woman and bury her for a king's daughter, for she is a king's daughter. But. When they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. When they came back and told him, he said, this is the word of Yahuwah, which he spake by his servant, Elijah, Tishpit, and the territory of Yezreel, this dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Yezreel, so that no one can say, this is Jezebel. No honor in death. I don't care if you're a king's daughter or not. And your own crew, your own eunuchs, your own, what is a eunuch? A castrated male. Think about that. A castrated male. Because the Jezebel, the painted up face Jezebel, always keeps herself surrounded by castrated males. You see, sexist Sex is excluded. She still controls them, but she's destroyed their sex. She's a, she's destroyed what they were naturally supposed to be. You see. So that they can better serve the master. That's why eunuchs were used in the. Um, in the harems. You know, those castrated males, they were used in the harems, often imported from Ethiopia. You see, so they could serve the purposes of the master, you see, without getting in the way, you know, without their sexuality, per se, getting in the way. So it was these eunuchs who threw her down, you see. 
these those who who had someone who maybe you know when you think about the symbology of the eunuch too they're surrounded by a promiscuous lifestyle you see they're surrounded by that so it's shut down and oftentimes it's people of low confidence you see there's a, there's repressed needs that are not being fulfilled you see there's a there's a losing or a loss of masculinity you know there's trauma there surrounded by these traumatized males who've lost their masculinity and their their proclivities for sex because they've been sexually abused they take on different urges and proclivities as a result that have nothing to do with their natural inclinations towards healthy sexual behavior. But they hated Jezebel. They hated her and threw her down anyway. Ain't that something? <laughs> ain't, ain't that grand? You see? So these are the ways, like I said, I wanted to. I know this was a very long segment. Um, but we went in <laughs> for our um, conclusion on the Jezebel series, you know, and I wanted to conclude with um, sharing some of the just the, some of the solutions. But it's it begins with identification and it's not a million and one list things on the list. You may say, well, I want 30 ways to defeat Jezebel. The main way is you got to submit yourself to the most high. And you have to be secure in the identity that the Most High gives you. You have to be covered. Because how else will she get in? You have to be covered by a proper person. By a, pop, a proper authority. A proper patriarch. No way around it. And I know the thing is, well, what else can I do? I just told you. That's it. That's it. And I know the Jezebel in you will now flare up and try to find five million ways around it. I know already. I already know what's happening right now in your head. Well, I mean, my father, like he's kind of a, well, is he a spiritual man? No, but he looks out for me sometimes. How often does he even look out? Not often, but right. You're trying to get out of it already. Well, I'm a part of a spiritual house in Ia. I mean, she prays for us and she knew things about me that no one would have known. So I know I definitely know the spirit is there, uh huh, trying to get out of it, Jezebel. Well, Chief, I listen to your information and I read your books, I buy your books, and I read everything. Oh, have you uh, applied for Anu? No, I haven't applied for Anu. Are you coming to the retreat at least so you could see if you want to apply for Anu? No, I ain't signed up for retreating. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Jezebel. Don't really want to make the choice. Don't really want to pick a side. Just want to pick off my plate. <laughs> you don't want to order your own dinner. You want to pick off my plate. You see. But you apply that. I remember what happened at the end. Apply that eye makeup. That's called coal. You see. Now that the idea of applying makeup and brushing your hair in ancient times, where you look at Jeremiah four thirty, Proverbs six twenty four, Ezekiel twenty three forty, it's it's to allure men into an adulterous position. So a lot of times black coal was used. Coal is the name again for makeup. Black coal is um what was often used as eye makeup, you know, and it was used for deception and trickery. You see, I think I guess you guys call that mascara now. Mascara and maybe eyeliner? 
I don't know. I'm not a makeup expert. <laughs> I don't know too much about it. Okay. But that she's using that cosmetic to bring attention to her eyes because she's putting on female armor. She's in battle. And her uniform looks like female armor. You see? So she tries to com- camouflage her attention, her true intentions that she has towards Jehu with this war paint of female armor. She dresses up her hair, you know, and hair is obviously a part of a woman's seductive power. Come on now. Come on now. We know that. Ladies, stop trying to act innocent about it, you know. You know, so when she, even when she died, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good looking corpse. <laughs> She still thinks she's in control, so she's even still shouting insults from the window. She couldn't even humble herself in that moment. You see? So she sits at the upper window when Jehu arrives. And, you know, part of sitting at an upper window was usually it was a sign where somebody was disfavored. You see that now today in certain areas where even prostitution is legal, the women are in the windows. You see so there was there was symbology to that, you know. Um, or you look at the story of of Deborah, Judges five twenty eight, where it talks about through the window peered Sisera's mother behind the latest she whined. You know that was like a ladies and waiting sort of thing, and hoping that Sisera, you know, um, is detained because he's out raping Israelite women. You know that was Judges five twenty nine and thirty. You see, so a woman who's in pain and, and going through often will sit in the window like that. She's in pain because she's being ripped apart by this by this demon, this Jezebel demon. You see, and also that image in the window often it's the, it's the it's the abomination of the fertility goddesses. When you see him in the window like that, you'll see that in um. Nimrod and Samaria and Korisbad, um, which was where Jezebel came through with that, that idol understanding, you know. So she's powerless at that point, too, when she's in that window. And all of the all of the action that's now being restored to the patriarchy authority is out of her reach because she's in the window. She's not on the ground where stuff is happening. You see, but she feels she has a superior angle. This is this is the delusion in the Jezebel. While I'm up here looking down on you from the window, she thinks she has a superior angle. So she's still in her delusion mind thought that she had mastery because she's positioned on this balcony window. You see, so when even when she called him Zimri. You know, Zimri was the predecessor of Omri. You know, that was Jezebel's father-in-law. And Zimri ruled for a few days. I think he ruled for like seven days after uh, he murdered um, King Elah and usurped the throne. So that's when he said, um, Zimri is all well. Zimri, murder of your master. Making fun of him. Being sarcastic, sharp-tongued like, like Jezebel's are. And thinking that I can talk like this because look at how I look. I can get away with it. You see. But authority was with Yehu. How do we know? Because he told the eunuchs, throw out the window. He had authority. 
And that when her getting thrown out that that window is her being cast down from her station. You see, now she's demoted forever. You are now forever a demon, never a queen. You see, you won't be mentioned among all the beautiful women of this of the of the word. You see. So much more there. <laughs> so much more I could share. But um yeah, nine born cipher. Born to be bring into existence. The number nine is such a powerful number. Um and I wanted to end this on the uh ninetieth segment. Of course the numbers always mean something, right? Um but that nine represents that feminine energy of creation. So what are you creating? What are you manifesting? What are you creating agreeances with inside of the universe? You know, nine is foundation in our tree of life. It's or or uh, yesod, as we call it, and it's the reflection of all things. You know, it's poured into by Tifereth, which is the sun. So it represents the the the, the feminine principle, but um, that that kind of yin of the yin and yang where Tifereth would be the sun and nine being the foundation where things get dark, if you will. Um, so it's an opportunity for those who are operating in that feminine moon, moon energy of that nine to make some determinations as to like, what are you foundating your life on? Because we all have the unfortunate potential to be that Jezebel sometimes without realizing it, of course. And, um, it's an opportunity for us to see, man, have I foundated my life on the principles of a sick woman, you know, um, or am I, you know, feeding off of a, a healthier milk? The milk is always an allu- uh, all- allusion to um, the the the, the um, Torah, the first five books are called the, the, the milk. If you ever see that in like scriptural reference, you wonder like, what they're referring to, you know, and when you look at the ninth letter of the the Hebrew alphabet, it's Tet. Tet has the value of nine, you know, um, and you don't see Tet much in Torah. For those who like to read it in Hebrew, you don't see it too much, you know. Um, but Tet is that is that value. I always look at it as Tet, but of course it it begins with Tov. You know, you see Tet with Tov in Genesis one and four. You know, but um, it usually means beneficial. You know, sometimes we say, oh, it means good, but it really is more like beneficial, you know. But um, gaining, getting on that, that nine or that tet, it represents that, that the hidden. You know, what is, what is beneficial to us, but what's been hidden, you see, like that hidden nine months of pregnancy, where we have the power to conceal that which is good, that which will come to light and be good, you see, but it's hidden. Are we giving birth to those things? Or again, are we just stuck in one way? You see, are we stuck in one way? It was a Doma who lived to 900 um, in 30 years before he died, right? So even when we see the Tesha. And we see Tesha in nine when it was talking about Adoma's life. Um, it's the idea of kind of going through an idea, a full idea.
from beginning to end, just like we have nine degrees in our supreme mathematics. You see, even though we, we count cipher as well, but, you know, going from knowledge, wisdom, to understanding, the culture of freedom, power, refinement, equality, God, you know, build or destroy born. You know, we come to that place of born. When you look at the name of Adom, and you do the geometry on Adom, we have Aleph, Dalit, and um, Mim, 1, 4, and 40. Aleph is 1, Dalit is 4, uh, Mim is 40. You add them up, you get 9 when you break it down, of course. You see? You get 45. 4 plus 5 equals 9. So we're talking about the foundations where things begin, you know, and the foundation should be truth. That's what you should plant yourself on and not the lies and the manipulations and the intimidations that you may have received from all the Jezebels in your life who lied to you about who you truly are or who, who brought falsehood into your life. Because when you found things that were unique to you and were beautiful to you, they they ridiculed and made fun of them like she tried to do with Jehu before she got, you know, 187. But, you know, uh, it's that opportunity for you to take a look at those things that you know are beautiful and special and unique to you that the creator has given to you and stand on them. Stand on that identity and don't move. Don't don't move. <laughs> don't move anywhere from that, you know, but stand on it. Don't move off of that square. You see. Because that becomes your crown of glory. That becomes your, your crown of glory. You see. That becomes your your form of faithfulness. Your form of loyalty is maintaining that identity. All right. So with that, that is our Yezebel series. All right. And I will that you all enjoyed it and got much from it. All right. I'll be right back. All right, everyone, I just wanted to um, remind you all, for those who have reached out, uh, wanting coaching and and consultations, of course, uh, I am not doing readings at this time. So no Etefas and no Da'afas. So at this at this time, I'm doing coaching, you know, so those of you who reached out for coaching, you have questions, even spiritual questions, you know, fine, or, you know, maybe you've... Um, had you know maybe some instruction that was given to you from someone else before and you're having trouble deciphering it and things like that are, are still perfectly fine for that you would go to askosiris.com and that's for consultations and if you want to purchase a, a coaching package package where you know we get ongoing support that's osirislife.com osirislife.com for classes um you know, like we have our online classes on Sadulu House, S-A-D-U-L-U-H-O-U-S-E dot com. It's where you could take your Anu spiritual training and classes on meditation and crystals and astral travel and dreams and a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, so that's what you can get there at the Sadulu House. And there'll be more classes coming up um, pretty soon, too, that I'm currently working on right now, like on sexual alchemy and a couple other things, right? So just wanted to give you all the heads up on that. So Dulu House, Ask Osiris, Osiris Life are some of the places that you can go. And of course, you can always follow me on, you know, my social media accounts. Okay. All right. All right. So here we are. 
We have returned and, um, let's get into, we're gonna, I know, I know the last uh, couple of segments, I kind of skipped the Q and A sections. Um, and it's just because the sessions have been so long. So this one's not going to be any different. <laughs> we'll get back to Q and A on the next session. So for all of you, all of you who've been waiting, I know there's, there's a queue. There's a lot of, um, questions that were sent in the questions at chiefyyan.com to be answered. And I'll, I'll get to them, you know, but stay tuned in and you will definitely, uh, be able to, um, have your question answered. So let's get to the book, the book, the book, the book. So the book that we're going to, um, that I'm recommending for this, um, this session is a book by, um, the name of atomic habits, um, tiny habits and remarkable results is it's authored by James clear. Okay. And, um, I can't recommend this book enough, you know, um, I, it came out uh, not too long ago, actually, maybe, maybe about five years, four or five years ago. And, um, it's a really good book. If, if you're someone who, uh, has, you know, maybe has some destructive habits that you, you're trying to get, get rid of and get out of, or if you have some more healthy habits that you're targeting and want to get into, and you kind of want to even understand the way you behave the way you do as it to re, as it relates to certain areas of your life. And if you're seeking to achieve more and things like that, it's a really, um, it's a really great book, you know, just, just to kind of create some more positive change, um, in your life. And, um, I enjoyed it a lot. You know, it's a book that I've, I've recommended to people, especially those who are maybe struggling with ADHD. I have found that it's a really good book. Um, to kind of see some of the habits that may be dominating you, you know, um, some that are really powerful, some that are not as powerful and how you form them. And, um, you know, it even highlights some of the different experiments that were done around, um, habit forming activities and, and things like that. But, you know, just, it, it's a really good book to kind of see how you respond to things and, what the habit is itself and the reward related to it or the the good feeling you may get from completing a certain habit and, you know, um, how you can start to create certain habit forming processes to get to good results, you know, and most importantly, to get those results to stick. Sometimes it's very difficult, you know, to we st- we'll start something, we'll make certain resolutions, but we just have a lot of trouble getting them to stick. So, um it's a really good book, Atomic Habits, and just really looking at um, how certain habits are attractive, certain are un- unattractive, but how we can see how we can start to get into more habit building and um, also the dopamine effects that are related to our habits. And it's not just actually completing the habit, but the thought of a habit releases the same amount of dopamine of in our systems as actually completing it. So the anticipation of doing something that would be pleasurable to you gets your dopamine going as well. It's, you know, as you know, the dopamine is your brain's reward system, if you will. Um, so desiring something is on, on par, if you will, with actually getting that something. And you can use that to your, to your advantage when you're, you're seeking to build a new habit, right? So check it out. Atomic habits. I know you're definitely, uh, 
it will help your life. Life changing even. All right, and there is our music. <laughs> so that means it is time for us to bring this to a close. And I trust and I will that you um, enjoyed the exploration of this Jezebel concept as much as I did. And um, you have are now more equipped with the warning signs of what to look for. And when you're operating within that sort of manipulation and that domination and that intimidation, you're actually losing out on the promises of the creator. You're losing out on the fortune and the favor of the creation of, of or the creator, excuse me. So I will that this was um, a great ride for you. I know we went on a, a couple of rides and um, I will that that those rides that we went on really were um, favorable for you to help you to kind of not get caught up in the bondage of that spirit you know if your mind is strictly on earthly things you know then you will get caught up you know that and understanding that 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 spirit of control that spirit of manipulation it drains the life right out of you with it, with its wants and what its needs. And it's just a black hole of wants and needs. I want this and can I get this and can I get that and can I get that? And I want some more of that. Oh, ooh, let me get some of this and let me some of that. And, and it's, it, it all it, it projects to you is you don't do this for me. And why don't you do that for me? So when you're bound up and you have a lot of problems, um, in the midst of all those problems, it's always going to point to someone else as being the fault and the source. And it may end up being you. <laughs> or you may be the one who's pointing at someone else, not realizing, man, I need to move towards repentance because this is inside of me now. And for those of you who are a leader of a home and who are caring for a group of people, understand that your goal should be to keep them moving along within the context of the spiritual kingdom of the creator. So when you as an authority are talking to somebody in love and they just don't get it, sometimes they don't want to get it because they have that spirit in them and you have to address that. You see, so you have to know as, as spiritual authority, authority that accountability is key and you can't be afraid if there is some kind of bondage in your life because accountability is another cure it's an, it's essential and it'll be helpful to get you out of that you see so when is that a, that concerted attack by the enemy utilize the tools that you learned in this series alright so I trust that you walk well you walk with strength and um, you'll continue to receive revelations and different discernments as a product of this journey that we took together uh, to strengthen and enliven a grateful heart, you know, so we can do this together. With that, this is Chief Yuya signing out. Chief Yuya Podcast, Episode 90, Season 2. Be well, everyone. See you, see you on the next one. Peace.